right, welcome back. We've had a uh, about three weeks in between episode 42 and 43. So this is episode 43. I'm sitting here um, on a Sunday afternoon, very casual, very calm, feeling very refreshed. Um, haven't done a huge amount of running. Had a casual goat loop today at lunchtime. Um, busy place at Narang at the moment through Kokoda. But my co-host, Kyle, is feeling almost the opposite to me, I would imagine. Kyle, you've... Well, we've all, we all know that feeling the day after an ultra. You just don't know what's going on, do you? How are you feeling? No, and I think I was worried about how I'd feel today given, as everyone knows, I've not been doing that much running in the hills, and I'll get into that later. I had some good conversations with Tom Brimlow <laughs> on the course about my lack of hills. Um, but no, my legs have actually pulled up surprisingly well, and I'm feeling okay, as good as can be hoped for after after running all day yesterday. So, so far, so good. Where do you go with your feeling the day after an ultra? Because for me, it's just absolute hunger. And no matter what I eat the day after, I cannot satisfy a hunger for days and days and days and days. What, what is it? What is it with yeah, you? Yeah, I'm the exact same. So we were in the Macca's drive-through at about eight o'clock this morning, just <laughs> loading up on one of this, one of that. What else can I get? Thick shakes and chips and everything. It was great. Yeah. So got in a lot of Macca's this morning. Went and had lunch. So, yeah, I've had plenty of food today and I will be hungry for a couple of days, I reckon. So that's the best bit. That's the bit I was looking forward to the most was all the food I was going to eat today. So Can you, can you I mean, imagine um, the McDonald's at Narang or the HJs and the KFC and the Red Rooster? They would just be getting slaughtered today, wouldn't they, on the Sunday? Just people coming in from everywhere going, yeah. they, they would have had this. Why be are these people yeah. just hobbling in? What's yeah. happening? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a pretty dramatic uh, three weeks since we last recorded one of these. Um, the last one we did was the preview to the Gold Coast Marathon. And um, as everyone knows, a couple of days later, after we put that podcast out, we had the devastating news that the the marathon was going to be cancelled for another year. Um, and that got me thinking, Kyle, I think I mentioned it to you. Can you imagine the last time you ran the marathon was when you paced the three-hour balloon in 2019. If I'd told you that day, potentially it will be three whole years, you know, fingers crossed that we get to do it next year, that would have just seemed ridiculous, wouldn't it? Three years between marathons. I think there's a whole lot of things that have not happened in the last year and a half that if you told me two years ago they weren't going to happen, I would have been very surprised. But, yeah, I know that feels like an eternity ago. So fingers crossed for next year because that was obviously quite devastating news for everyone that had trained up for the any of the races at the marathon. So, I guess we all just got to put that fitness to good use in other places and, and get ready for next year. Yeah, but one of the great sites, wasn't it? I don't know whether you saw much of it, but certainly through bigger rewarders here um, that weekend, it was incredible to see everyone racing with their bibs out. Um, you know, certainly on the Saturday, Sunday, there was a lot happening, more so on the Sunday. But then I saw some strange things through the midweek. People obviously, because where I am, I'm up the top end of the Gold Coast Marathon. I'm kind of at that 30, 34, and then when you come back through 38-kilometer mark, um, and I saw some people on like a Tuesday or a Thursday just doing a, they must have been doing a solo marathon with their bib on and they were just hobbling back along Marine Parade heading towards Labrador from Runaway Bay. And I was like, wow, that's commitment. Not only not to do it, like it was pretty big on the Sunday, like there were groups out everywhere on the Sunday, but to do it solo, like in a midweek marathon, I was like, far out. That is commitment. Absolute commitment. So Kyle, give us a brief overview. What did you, what did you get up to then on that Sunday? Cause I know you had a bit of a, a stellar run. Yeah, so we we decided that we were going to do a half marathon. Initially, there was a little bit of talk of, no, we're still going to do the marathon. We'll put on a course. We'll try and get a group. Um, and then that probably fizzled out within about six hours of us talking about the marathon that we weren't <laughs> going to do a marathon then. So we decided we were going to do a half marathon instead. 
And I think the reason I still wanted to push ahead with that was I knew I had Kokoda in two weeks. So it wasn't like I was going to be able to just, you know, train through it, go on to sunny coast and do something else. I was going to obviously do Kokoda and then have to recover anyway. So I just wanted to get a hard effort in to somewhat use that training block of, of road running that I'd done in the lead up. So we decided on a little, it was just over three kilometer loop up at the spit. Uh, it was kind of a combination of a loop plus an out and back. So we knew we had about seven laps or just under seven laps of that to do. Um, and we had a little group of us, myself, Luke, Rinny, Ty, um, and Dave Vernon came and he was going to run the first 10K with us. So we set off and did that. Dave ran with us probably the first six or seven Ks and then he shot off to kind of finish his 10K. Um, and the plan was we wanted, like we haven't really done anything at half marathon pace. So we said, we'll just go out and see how we feel. So we ended up running quite well. So Luke and I kind of stayed together pretty much right towards the end. Rini had dropped off the back a little bit and then Dave jumped back in, back in to help her towards the end. But we ended up running, I think I was 1.11.51. Luke was about 15 to 20 seconds behind me. Um, and Rini ran 1.13.35, I think she ran in the end. Um, I think Ty was about 1.14 or 1.15. So we all had really good runs. I think everyone was pretty pretty happy with that. So that felt like it was a bit of reward for for the hard work we'd all put in. Because it was PBs yep. for pretty much all of us, so it was a successful, successful day, even though we didn't get to race. Absolutely, and you mentioned Sunny Coast there. So, is that the plan to roll over? Because you imagine Sunshine Coast would have been peppered with um, entries, you know, on that Tuesday yeah. night or the Wednesday I'd, when it was cancelled. I'd heard a few people saying that I don't know where they got their information wrong or, uh, from or how accurate it was, but Sunshine Coast Marathon had close to seven hundred entries the day that the Gold Coast Marathon got cancelled across all their events. So, I think pretty much everyone had the same idea of moving across and just moving on to a race six weeks later in the, yeah. you know, the same area. So I think most people will be will be transferring across to that one. Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to do the, the marathon or the half or something? Uh, I'll most likely just be pacing because it's only four weeks from now. I, yeah. I'd probably say I'm going to take at least a week to kind of start a week or two to get back to normal yeah. training. So the plan will probably be to jump in and pace uh, the Luke and Rinny and them, whoever else is around that group for as far as I feel comfortable to in the marathon and try and help them out as much as I can. Cause they both, they're both going to train straight through for the marathon now. So yep. I just want to be there, be a part of it. And if I can help out, help out a few of them, then I will. And then I've signed up for the Melbourne marathon in, I think 11 weeks now that'll be here before I know it as well. So that's middle of October. Yeah. So that's my plan was recover and then get back into it. But yeah, like as you mentioned, so let's get straight to it then. That's an extraordinary week and there's, and there's lots of people who did their marathons um, down uh, down close to SeaWorld and also down south through Burley and all over the place. So well done to everyone who actually managed to get their half marathon or marathon or 10K done. Um, very trying conditions. Fingers crossed we're back next year with the uh, Gold Coast Marathon. As I said, that would have been three years between marathons, which is amazing. But um, as you mentioned, Kyle, yesterday, Kokoda. Um, so first of all, congratulations. It's, uh, for those of you that haven't heard, so, um, Kyle's team, the GC physio team with Kyle and Jake, um, Henry and Tom came in 11 hours and 59 minutes. They broke the start. They broke the 12 hour barrier that I'd heard one or two of them mention. Um, so an amazing achievement, absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary achievement. I think Kyle, I think everyone would love to know, first of all, what was it like coming down three hills? How much were you aware of the time and who was legging it fastest down three hills out of the four of you? <laughs> so I suppose I need to set it up and I'll, we'll go into some more details in a second, but this last section. So we'd all had our kind of ups and downs throughout the day, except for Jake. He was the one that had an incredible day and looked like he was just running off yep. the front, happy the whole day. But the rest of us had all had our ups and downs. 
And I really started to die around six kilometers to go. You hit the creek in Narang, the bottom of the 17K loop, and you got about five and a half, about 5.6 Ks to go. And I, as soon as I, you come out of that, you've got the really steep climb that ever, most people would know in Narang. We normally run down it. I had to go back up and I was just felt like I was running on empty for that second. And I knew the splits. We'd been calculating the splits all day because I'd written out splits for the checkpoints the whole day that would have equated to around 12 hours if we were running well. And we'd been pretty much bang on the splits almost to the minute the whole day. So we knew it was going to be close. But then for the next probably couple of Ks, I significantly slowed down. That was my turn to, to feel terrible. And it just wasn't great that I felt very terrible. So they really had to help help me through that next couple of Ks. And then in my head, I still kind of knew the splits. I was half looking at my watch. And I knew that the 4K to go checkpoint, which is the junction for the 17K loop, just past yep. the top of the goat, the goat climb, um, that's about 4Ks to go from there. And I knew that two years ago when Tom and Henry and the Wild Earth team did it, they ran that in just over 29 minutes. So I thought, okay, if we can get there in around 11 hours 30 and run well, it's going to be close, but we should be able to do it. And I think we got to that checkpoint in 11.32. I think we left that checkpoint in. Oh, wow. And I was yep. not, I walked straight through that checkpoint and the guys filled up some bottles and I just kept walking because I was not in a good way. And I knew it was going to be close. I, I can barely remember. The next probably 2Ks after that was just a blur. I can't even really remember that two kilometers. And yep. then I remember we were hiking up a bit past the quarry climb and I heard we got to about would have been 2Ks to go. And Henry yelled out, we've got 12 minutes. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I wasn't really thinking straight at that point, but I can remember him saying that. And we got to the top of the climb where the top of Three Hills is the junction. And they just said, because I was feeling the worst at that point, they said, Kyle, you go and you set the pace and just go as hard as you can and we'll follow. And I just had probably the biggest shot of adrenaline I'd ever had <laughs> on that day and just started, well, I felt like I was sprinting, but I definitely wasn't sprinting yeah. um, as hard as I could up to that little climb to the top of three hills. And I remember looking at my watch right at the peak of the top of three hills and I think we had about nine minutes, eight minutes, 40 to nine minutes to get down to get down three hills and it's about 1.8 kilometers from there so i was like we're gonna have to run this fast if we're gonna yeah. get under 12 so at that point i was like just run you know it's the last bit i pretty much just tried to get everything out of myself that i could and it wasn't until we probably got to the bottom of the third well the first three hills on the way up but the last descent where it starts to bend to the left and i knew from there we had about 500 meters mm. and i think we had about three minutes at that point and i go if we're, we we're running quick so i was like if we can hang on to this through this last two minutes we'll be okay yeah and I can still remember running down the trail and Henry yelled out, we got 90 seconds and we still couldn't quite see the gate. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really close. So we were just legging it as fast as we could to get down. And I think we passed through the gate right on about 11.59 yep. and just all kind of sprinted across the road. We weren't, didn't even really cross as a group. We were just trying to run because we didn't know if we were going to have timing mats at the finish or whether they were going to make us walk over to the tent like they've done in previous years. So yep. they were just saying, let's just get to that timing point. So we all kind of just sprinted through the finish and I think we were a, 11.59 and 10 seconds or something. So wow. that was exciting, very, very – I wish it wasn't. I wish I'd felt better for that last 6K and we were a few minutes under, but I won't forget that finish anytime soon because it yeah. was extremely exciting with about 300 metres to go, looking down and going, oh, my God, we're actually going to do this. After <laughs> mentally, I was going, there's no way we're going to do this about 20 minutes earlier. So it was it was exciting. That's great. That's awesome. And before we go into your race in a bit more detail, um, let's just go through the second and third. So Paul Shard's team uh, came in in 14 hours and 13 minutes. Um, and impressively, the first female team, all females, uh, were third overall. So Sarah Layden, 
um, Shelley and Danielle Murray and Rebecca Eagles in 14 hours and 56 minutes to get third place overall and first female. So, yeah, great running from those two teams. Um, I saw a couple of photos from Ben Deneen quite early on from Paul Shard's team. So it looks like they were in second the whole day. I'm not too sure how that girls' team went, whether they were sitting in third for the whole day. But, um, yeah, two great teams there and great performances. Kyle, so let's go into Kokoda in a bit more detail. Um, before you go through the race a bit more for me, tell our listeners what is it about the four-man or the four-female you know, or the four-person ultra that makes it different from going out and doing your own 100 k yeah, and I think that's probably the big draw card for it is we're always race individually. And as much as we train in groups and, you know, we enjoy all running together, generally whenever we're standing on a start line, you're running for yourself. It's an individual race. You want to see your mates do well, but at the same time, you're really focusing on how your day is going and worrying about yourself. It's probably the only time we ever get to actually run as a team in a race out of pretty much any races. You know, there's relays yep. occasionally, which gets a bit of that feel, but very rarely do you have to run together. And I think that's the challenge of it is it's all well and good to put a team together of four people that can run, but to run well for 12 hours and all pace it reasonably similar mm. so that, you know, it's not like, you know, if you've got someone who likes to run hard in the first half versus someone who takes it conservatively, you can't do that because you all have to be together all day. So it's always just a good challenge to try and manage that as well. And I kind of enjoy that as part of the day that there's a whole nother dimension to the race, not just how am I feeling, but how's everyone else feeling at the same time. So we always generally like that challenge. But then at the same time, like you, it's such a day for the community as well. Like our crews play such a big part in the day. Generally, everyone comes out and watches it. Like you just feel like everyone kind of in the local trail running community comes out and is somewhere, you know, gets involved with the event somehow. So it's one of those races that even if I wasn't racing and was just doing all road stuff, I'd still go out and follow it for the day and, mm. and get involved with the race because it's just always got such a good feel to it. Um, and it's also, you know, it's also good to see so many people that would, you know, they don't do trail running or anything, getting out, getting on the trails because you know, 90% of the people that do Kokoda are just people that are hiking and don't necessarily do it as a sport, but, you know, they raise money for the charity and get out there and, you know, experience all the trails. So, Oh, it's it's just a great day to be part of. And it's one of those ones that, you know, I look at my year and go, I had not done any training for Kokoda, but I didn't want to miss it at the same time. So hence why I still wanted to do it. So, you know, any race like that, same as what I said for UTA, like doesn't really matter what you're doing that year. You tend to try and make it work so you can be part of it, part of it somehow. And that's what I was going to ask. How What sort of roles do you all play, the four of you? Because let's have a look at your team. So, you know, Tom, effectively, one of the, the best couple of trial runners that we've got in Queensland, you know, UTA 50 champion, and there's very few that are better than him. Um, you know, Henry Coombs is someone who's now won five Kokodas. I think it's five for him. So there's no one knows that race better than he does. You've got Jake, who's an extraordinary young athlete, and goodness knows what he's going to achieve in the sport in the next 10 years. He's almost, I think when I when I watch him run, he's a bit like uh, the Gold Coast Jim Wormsley. You know, that tall figure, <laughs> he big does, he does stride. remind you of that, doesn't he? Maybe he's going to grow a man bun in the next few years and get sponsored by Hoka, we wish. Um, and yourself, who effectively, let's be honest, for the last six months has been a roadrunner. So you've got, you've got in a team there which is you've very, very dissimilar. So how do you put that together as a group of four and manage the day? Yeah, it's and I think that's why it's so important to have a bit of a plan as well. And the other thing that, you know, I wrote it in that when I did a little blog for the Kokoda Challenge for, for work, last week as one of like my tips for teams as well is you've always got to check in on each other because it's one of those races where it's really easy we all do it in individual races because there's no one to talk to we just 
hide how we're actually feeling. We keep telling ourselves, no, we're yeah. fine, we're fine. We hide all of that. Whereas in Kokoda, if you start to feel like you're struggling a little bit, you've got to be open enough, especially if we're in the first you know, half or two-thirds of the race, You've got to be open enough to say to every, to you know your teammates, "Yep, I'm not I'm not feeling great. We need to just back off a little bit," and they can generally help you. So, you've got to have at least a couple of people in the team that are checking in on everyone as often as possible. You kind of got to put your egos aside and just go, "I need to be honest with how I'm feeling," because if I try to hide it and then it goes really bad early on, that's going to kind of potentially ruin the not ruin the day, but you're going to slow down significantly for quite a while. So, in that first, you know, especially probably two thirds of the race, you generally just want to get that right. And then whatever happens in that last little part, generally you're just going to get it done. So again, we've got, you know, Henry's done, I think six Kokodas. He's won five mm-hmm. of them. Um, this was Tom's third Kokoda as well. It was Jake's first run over 50 Ks. So there was a bit of unknown territory for him there, but again, he had the best day out of all of us. So <laughs> really the plan for all of us was, you know, we need to be honest with each other with how we're feeling, make sure we're not going too hard, eat early and often. That was the big thing. We just, got to get our nutrition and hydration right and if anyone was kind of trying to fall off a bit on that which i was guilty of towards the end as well hence Mm -hmm. why i've kind of suffered in that last last hour Um, we tried to get on top of that as quickly as we could so generally if you can get those things right you're going to have a pretty good day Um, you generally just don't want to take any unnecessary risks so i think even though our training looked well especially mine very dissimilar to what they'd been doing given i had done the hills I knew the course like the back of my hand. I knew exactly what splits we needed to run and what that needed to feel like. And I was generally like the first two-thirds of the day, my nutrition and hydration, I was trying to be spot on with that because I knew my legs were going to feel good if I could get that right. So I think going into it, we had a pretty good plan and everyone was on the same page as far as what we needed to do, how hard we needed to work. So it was just a matter of going out there and executing it for as long as we could, which ended up not that it all went smooth sailing, that's for sure, but pretty much went to plan yeah absolutely and um before we move on from kokoda how did you find the shoes this is the first time you've raced in the north face uh vective endurus so how did you find those yeah so i'll give a shout out to to brody clark who helped us there is the rep for the north face um who they kind of helped support our team and we all got a pair of the new north face flight endurus shoes and they were phenomenal and as i said we all kind of commented on it throughout the day is i hadn't even thought about my feet once Normally, you kind of always somewhat are aware of what your feet are feeling like and how it's feeling on certain parts, but not once did I think about my feet at all. Mm. And as soon as you're kind of running a long race and you're not even thinking about your feet, you know you've got a good shoe on your foot and it was just, it's got a bit of extra cushion in it as well. The grip was fine for what we were doing. So just especially on the long downhills, which Kokoda's got quite a few of, it was just nice to have that extra cushion and softness under your feet. So, you know, we all love them it was probably it'd be my go-to shoe for any long ultra especially the more runnable stuff at the moment it it was brilliant so we're very lucky very lucky to get those shoes and they worked well for us yeah absolutely absolutely um so yeah so kokoda extreme i mean there were still hundreds of people out there i did a goat loop today at seven uh sorry um one o'clock and there were still hundreds of people around and teams coming in and uh you know the people who are in the 96k they've been hiking it they were coming in sort of close to 30 hours and Extraordinary. I mean, you guys came in at 12 hours and there's people out there effectively almost, you know, three times as long as, as you've been out there. So to those people who are pretty still out there now, it's the middle of the afternoon on a Sunday we're recording this, like I take my hat off to you. I was talking to Benny about this and Brad and, and Jack, like the nutrition they must have is amazing for time on feet to be out there for 30 hours. It's just extraordinary. It's, a, it's so. so impressive. Like we kind of, I was, you know, 
again, we do a lot of training to be able to do what we do, but we get home and, you know, you go to good sleep in last night and get up and eat lots of food today and whatnot, and they're still out there. They've been out yeah. there all night. It, it's incredible just to put themselves through that. Just like you said, the amount of time on your feet out mm. in the conditions, it would have been freezing in some of those sections up on Beachmont last night. It was the probably one of the windiest days of running I've ever had. Yeah. As soon as we got up onto Beachmont, there was a really strong westerly and you could almost couldn't even run forwards. You almost felt backwards when you were trying to run into this headwind. So it would have been absolutely freezing for some of those teams last night. So for them to be able to get through that is it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Kyle, well done. Um, well done, as I said, to Paul Shard's team in second um, and to uh, the girls team who came third overall. Um, I'm not too sure. Kyle, have you got any results for the, for the 48 K? Have they, have they, have they come up? I mean, I've been looking through Strava. Um, so yeah, I've seen no. A, so a couple of teams. The, obviously, there's generally a good. So normally, the adults 48k teams and the schools teams start separately. The schools team started at 11, and the adults used to start at one. But everyone started at 11 o'clock this year. Um, and I think I was looking. There was a three-person team um, led by Scott Blundell um, and Dylan, a couple of the, the doctors that he works with. They ran 618. Um, mm-hmm. So they've got that in as far as the 48k, and then. Adzi's other team, um, which had Emily Randall, Paul and Matt Smart, and Philip Pierce, they were 627. They were called Adzi's 2.0, which ended up coming in in front of Adzi's 1.0 team. Yeah. But no, we'll, we can go into that. But anyway, so they were they were second as well. And then um, I think we had a St. Andrews team come in in 643. Yep. So they were the first schools team. So they did really well there. Um, and there was another St. Andrews team just behind them, only about 20 minutes back. So still impressive running impressive running by everyone in the in the 48k absolutely absolutely all right so kokoda done and dusted for another year um and with the gold coast marathon being cancelled i guess it draws into attention again doesn't it how lucky and grateful we are that um we get to do these events and that these events still get to go ahead and i, I think for me kyle as well it makes me realize how out of road running and trail running, it just trail running. We seem to be very fortunate. The, the trail races seem to be happening, and sometimes the road ones are the ones that are getting canned. So, um, yeah, very very grateful. So we've had a, a fair few races in the last couple of weeks. So let's just start to chat a bit more about those. Um, I've got a bit of information from the Goat Loop uh, note from the Goat. I'm starting to fall back in love with it again. So we'll get to that in a moment as well. But Steam and Narang, the Mountain Goat um, Trail Runners, they put on a couple of races. There was one up in Brizzy. They do the Steam and Narang, which effectively, Kyle, isn't it, is the 2.0 loop plus a little bit more. Um, plus a nice little hilly loop off off the back of it. And it's at the moment, it's the only race in Narang. Other than Kokoda finishing in Narang, it's the only race we've got in Narang now. So it's, it's, That's an amazing stat, isn't it? Because I think when everyone gets into trail running, um, certainly if you've sort of been interested in it for the last five or six years, it was... The Narang was where kind of you went, wasn't it? it? Was your introduction? I remember my very first trail race. Um, I went with Ian Dowling. He invited me along and said, "There's a there's a short course race in Narang, nine k." Had a look at the times and went, "Oh come on, how hard is this going to be?" Didn't realise because I'd never been in Narang as a runner. And we went out the gate, turned right, and went up that big long, you know, op- almost the opposite way that the goat loop comes down, and just went, "Oh, I see. Now I understand. I understand why." <laughs> Breaking five minutes, you know, or running four and a half minutes on, on trails is actually quite a good pace for the win. Um, but, yes, it's amazing that the steam in Narang is the only event that's there now. So um, times-wise, so I think it was about 14, 14K, 13 or 14K, I think it came out to be. Is 14 that right? to 14-ish. I think it's yeah. supposed to be 15. I don't see. I can't remember exactly what it ended up being. But around that, 14, 15K, I think. 
So for the females, uh, third place, Stephanie Rodiger in 123. Um, second place, Ashil Krieg, who's popped up many times for road races and trail yes. running, one hour 20. And first for the females, uh, Elena Stevenson, one hour and 17. So three minutes separating the all the places there. Uh, for the men, James Blanton, part of the North's group, one hour and 15 minute. Uh, second place, Zach Newsham, one hour 14 and quite a comprehensive win there. Three minutes. Uh, Chase Eldridge. Do you know Chase, Kyle? No, I don't know Chase. Yeah, so okay. It's so, good to see another name on top of the on top of the results. Yep, one one hour and eleven there. So yeah, thanks very much to the Mountain Goat um, organization that they can manage to put out a race on in the rain, which is awesome. Um, and anyone who's run the two point course, you know how tough that actually is. So it looked it looked I think it looked about five hundred meters of elevation. I think when I saw yeah, it was yep. a good amount of climbing in it. So we're looking there, aren't we, at, you know, high, what's that, high 30s, 30, yeah, between 30, 35 metres a kilometre, which is, I guess, normally what you sort of get in the ring, isn't it? So, um, yeah, well done to those who, who placed there and certainly well done to the Mountain Goat group. But as I said, Kyle, I've um, I've started to fall in love again with uh, with the goat loop. I've This weekend is the guzzler, so I'm in the 50K this weekend. And I don't know what, what you're like. Sometimes when races are approaching, I start to sort of project past the race and go, what's going to come afterwards? And yesterday morning, mm-hmm. I, only had, I only had sort of 90 minutes and 100 minutes on my training and I ended up doing a double goat loop. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've remembered. This is, this is what it's all about because I haven't been much on it this year at all. So I started uh, this morning to have a look, bit of a look at a few stats from the goat loop. Have you looked recently at anything to do with goats? No, I'm currently bringing it up right now to right, see. Right, I, wanted, right, I was just on. going to look how many goat loops are up that's, to. That's, that's the first question. You, you yeah. give me Have some you seen stats. It? Have you seen that? how many? Or you, no, I, I haven't. Ask you that. Okay. How many no. do you think? I haven't seen it. Oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, we, I think we're over 4,000, 4,400. No, 4,547 4, loops. Oh, I was actually pretty close. Um, so, it, actually, you know what sparked my interest in the week was Brad Glover. I saw a picture of here that's he, – he put a picture of a T-shirt up and the T-shirt had 100 goat loops on it. I was like – I, I thought Brad had done more and it turns out he's done a lot more than 100. But I was like, that is very cool. He's made a 100th goat loop shirt, a, shirt, a bit like they do for Parkrun. Um, so I, after seeing that, when I saw that I had 90 minutes on my program, I thought, do I go out and just do, you know, the 16, 17K loop? And I thought, no, I'm going to do a double goat. So I went and did a double goat. But now it got me thinking. Who else do you reckon? And I, I don't know how to find this out on Strava. So we know Benny's done more than 100. And I saw Glover today, yep. and he said he's done probably 200 or something, but he's let his subscription lap on Strava, so he can't see. So that's, a, yeah. Um, who else do you think would have done? Because I'm at 76. I did one today, two yesterday. I'm at 76. Who else do you think? Oh. I can't see. Who would who would be on so your list? So I'm pretty sure Scott George has cracked 100. Yep. I think Brad Ed's cracked 100. I yep. don't know. I don't know how many Sean Lines has done. I I reckon potentially some of the guys like uh, Vince. Yeah, I had him down. Uh, I thought he Reece. Might yep. Like well, Vince is the local legend. He's he's done twenty seven in the last three months. So yep. I would assume he would have to have done multiple, definitely more than that. Hey, well, I'm looking through the list soon. There definitely there wouldn't be too many more. I don't think. I think that would be the main ones that have done quite a lot. Any females? At, uh, how how many do you reckon Alana did before she, you know, she hasn't been well, running? Because she did a lot from, from near her work where she used to enter the forest not on the actual start of the goat loop, so she just missed the end of the segment. I reckon oh, she right. would have done that many had it included that. 
but I reckon there'd only be half a dozen or so that have done a hundred. I'm trying to remember where I'm up to. You know, I'm here's one that I that I'm fascinated by, and I think she would be close. Would be Kath Drinkwater. She does a lot of goat yeah, loops. So she would be up there. So I'm going to find out. So anyone who's listening who knows, because can you actually see Kyle? Can you see what someone else has done in terms of number? No, you, you can't see how many okay. they've done. I don't think. So, Maybe you can. Here, but anyway. So here, here's my idea. Anyone who's listening out there who does a lot of goat loops, if you can go onto Strava, find out how many you've done and actually message us, because I'd love to put together a bit of a leaderboard to know, well, obviously Benny's number one. And I said to him today, he used to own 10% of all goat loops. And now he's well under that. Um, I think he's probably down to 7%. Uh, so but he, I think at one stage he got the 2000th goat loop or something and he'd done over 200. So he was, he was well on top. But it'd be interesting to know who, who, how many people have done um, so we can put together a bit of a yeah. leaderboard. But I had the same sort of people, Kyle. I had like, um, yeah, Vince Stefanak. I had Reese, um, Benny, obviously, and yeah, sort of Brad and Scott and Sean and people like that. So um, as you said, so Vince what did Stefanak, you say you local like legend. How many have you done? 76. 76. And this is my okay. idea. I want to hit 100 before the end of the year. That's now my okay. kind of, this is me projecting past the guzzle this weekend. I was like, well, tw- I can do 24. There's roughly what? 23, 24, 22 weeks to go. One a week, it should be quite easy. So that's my aim. I want to hit 100 before um, before the end of the so year. You might, I'm just having a look now. I've hit 91. So I've got Ooh. nine to go to get my to get my triple figures. So sure. you'll be probably doing them much faster than me. So I might try and time it time it that I get it similar to you. It might be a race <laughs> to 100. Well, here's some other interesting facts. So so as you said, Vince Stefanak, he's the local legend. Was it, did you say 27 in the last 90 days? Is that right? Yep. He is doing one every three days. So he's out there, you know, let's say he does them in singles. We know he doesn't, but let's say that he is. So he's doing one every three days. So a couple a week there from from Vince. But I think he's ahead by a long way. I don't think the next local legend is anywhere near I'm close just, to him. I'm having a look. I don't think – I think he would have it by quite, quite a way. So here's some other things I've obviously yes, found out. So – the Olympic Games is coming up and the Australian triathlon team has been announced and we now can say for definite that our very own Goat Loop champion, Matt Hauser, is in the Australian Olympic triathlon team. So we said, so that's great. We've got the top two are Olympians, the top one, the, the crown holder. He's going to be going to the current Olympic Games. So now we can see where the Goat Loop places in the world scene. The world scene. If if he medals somehow, even if it's in the mixed relay team, then it, it's going to pro- project the, the Goat Loop up into a stratosphere. He may even mention it. Maybe a little message to Matt Hauser just to say when you're referencing things, you know, let's, let's put it in there. But um, we now have seven members, don't we, of the Goat Royale Club now. Matty McIntyre became the seventh member of the Goat Royale. So for those of you who don't know the Goat Royale, it's doing the five, four, three, two, one loops in that order. Ends up being about 72, three something kilometres. Yeah. Um, now, here's something interesting, Kyle. Only one person this year has gone sub 30. Ooh, that would be Jack Gill last week. Is that correct? Spot on. Yes. Spot on. So we obviously last year did the, um, what did we call it? Goat Mania. Goat Mania. Goat Mania. Um, And if you look at the the leaderboard, there hasn't been much action in a full year. We sort of had that boom of goatness happening. And then since the last year, not much has happened. I mean, my PB is now coming up to almost two years ago. So I'm, you know... I don't know how long you can sort of hang on to PBs and past glories, but I'm it's almost coming to the end of that. I feel like I need to to get another time up there. So I also had a look, Kyle, at this year because you can go on Strava, can't you, and you can see where people rank for the year. So I, right. went, I went through. So um, you're currently sitting in 58th for the year. 
with okay, a solid. season solid. with a season best of forty three fifty. Yep. I'm currently in twenty fourth with a season best of thirty nine minutes and change. Well, I'm um, just having a look, and it's <laughs> saying that you are not in the top twenty five. Sorry. Well, hang on. I've got. Where am I? I've got you. I have got you. Oh, no, actually, what? sorry. I was looking at the wrong one. You're right. What did yeah, you say 24th? you were? 24th, am I? No, you're 28th. 28th. Oh, am I 39 something? So much credit there. <laughs> no, because I reckon... 39 flat. <laughs> 39, 39 flat. Okay, yep, fair enough. What are, and the top female uh, this year is Fabian Rabaza, who we mentioned in the short course series a little bit, I think. Was she short yes. course or long course? And and certainly some longer ones. Yep. Um, Thirty-seven fifty-four. I had her down as the top female for the year. So um, yes. there hasn't been much um, hard, fast stuff done on the goat loop this year. There's been a lot of um, a lot of loops done. If you think about, it, it's almost a year, isn't it? About it's about a year since um, what was his name, yep. Flynn Flynn Baxter, since he got the three thousand Baxter. Yeah. So it's we've had about one thousand five hundred goat loops done in the last fifty-two weeks of the year, but certainly nothing towards the fast end. Um, so there we go, Kyle. We're going to get five. We're going to get 5,000 by the end of the year, which is awesome. Um, but I'd love to know from people at home, as I said, what, what if, where are they at? Who's, who's over 50? Who's over 100? Yeah. Is anyone else over 200? Um, apart from potentially Brad Glover and um, Ben Deneen. But, yeah, so I'm, I think I'll be back there a bit more now. I need to stop it's doing exciting, these. Isn't it? I feel like there's been a bit of talk around it. So Jack, Jack was building a little bit of hype about it last week. He was talking yep. about potentially going and taking my man maker crown, which he mm-hmm. said he thinks is very gettable. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that could be on his radar at some point. I know he was looking at the 2.0 crown as well of Adzi Gordon. So yep. th- there could be some action coming, a few fireworks in the next next few weeks. We'll see. We'll see. But it could be exciting. I said to when, Jack, when he you, goes back uh, out and takes... When when you got your man maker, how did you? How was it split? What were your two splits? Three. I think I was almost the same. I was about twenty nine forty and twenty nine thirty something. They were pretty even yep. ones when I did it. So yep. I said to Jack, like, there's definitely a bit of time in it. I don't know how much, but he was pretty keen to have a crack at something. And I think for me, like, I haven't really thought about the goat loop too much this year. But I know if because Jack, if he takes my man maker one, and he's only one second behind me on the single goat loop leaderboard as well. That would definitely light a bit of a fire in my belly to try and get back out there as well and, and improve on a couple of times. So who knows what could be happening over the next few months. We will see. Yep. So, yeah, so when the Olympics um, kicks off in a in a week's time or so and the, the triathlon comes up, everyone just watch Matt Hauser. He's our, if you've never seen him, he's our goat loop um, crown holder. So uh, there's the goat loop. We'll try and check in a bit more with that, with uh, some information as it comes to hand. Um, but, Kyle, let's jump over to... Probably the biggest ultra that we've had for a little bit of time, the Brisbane Trail Ultra. Yeah. Um, big, a lot of course records, a lot of course records happening. Uh, a lot of events, 100 mile, 110K, 60K, 30K. There was a couple of smaller ones as well, I think, down that way. Yeah. I didn't really get those results. But, um, yeah, plenty of results happening. So um, there was plenty. Kick us off. Kick us off. You yeah, got that so we're going to go. Do you want to start with the 30 or the 100 miler? Let's start with the 100 miler. We'll start with the big yep. one. So... If we go to the 100 mile, so for people that don't know, this course has nearly, I think it's about 8,800 yep. meters of climbing in the 100 miler, so a bit more Everest. than the, from the, <laughs> a bit more than Everest. Yeah. So it's a, it's a massive course. It's a really, really tough course. Um, you just got to look at the times to realize it's a tough course, but we had some incredible times 
incredible mm. times times run this year. So we had what do we have? Ten finishes, I believe, if we look at the yep. in ten males, and we had how many females did we have finish? They've got them on separate separate leaderboards. And ten are my only showing the top ten. Probably only showing the top ten. That's why it says that. But we had way more finishes than last year because I can remember last year mm. talking about this and calling every, all six people's name out that finished this. I think there was only six of them that actually finished. Yeah. So numbers-wise, we had quite a lot. I think we had 10 females and 11 males. Um, but in the females, we had Carmen Atkinson ran 26.18 for third, Jackie Bell 24.55, and Marie Connor 23.29 took out the win. So Course great record. running. Course record. Course Absolutely record. incredible. Yeah, that's and again that you look at the times and people go oh it's a day but that, that's an extremely tough course so they're mm. they're incredible times to run um, and then in the male race we had some another course record as well but um, we had where am I here so third place Rob Tabato ran twenty three flat fan fifty oh you'd have to be a bit dirty surely he was going for <laughs> sub twenty three fifty seconds fifty yeah. seconds he missed that by um, Nicholas Banford local runner. Uh, for the Brisbane Mountain Goats, he ran 20 hours and five minutes. Mm-hmm. Again, I reckon he would be dirty that he didn't run 19.59 yeah. on that course. But again, incredible run. And only 12 minutes ahead, Matthew Crehan ran 19.53. The other way, like the way to look at this as far as how impressive those two runs are by Matthew and Nicholas, if you look at something like UTMB yeah. that's got, that's 100 miles, about a couple of 103 miles, I think it is, or a couple more. It's got about 10,000 metres of climbing and some of the like the best trail ultra runners in the world don't really break 20 hours on that course. Mm. So that kind of that just puts into perspective how fast sub 20 hours on a course with nearly 9,000 metres of climbing is for 100 miles. It's an incredible time that yeah. those two boys have run. So, you know, they got good conditions this year compared to November last year when it was quite hot when it was on. But sub 20 hours or right around 20 hours for 100 miles with that much climbing is incredible yeah so incredible run by everyone that finished it because just to get that done is incredible and you're right um, that's that's kind of where my head went when i was looking at certainly at um at matt and nick's time was you know we know that Pau capel tried to break 20 hours with that event that he sort of did recently um for the utmb course um and what are they with the hard rock 100 that's been on recently that's 100 mile what are they what is the win they're more around 22 hours yes yeah. 23 what's hours? the elevation in that it's about ten thousand as well, but it's at high altitude compared yep. to the other ones. So it's yep. probably tougher than it's probably one of the toughest hundred milers. Yep, in the world. absolutely. All right. Um, so then we had the hundred and ten k. So I'll go through that one. So we had in the females in third place we had Hal Barn, uh, nineteen hours twenty nine minutes. Um, in second place we had Jen Millam, fifteen hours thirty one. And in first place we had Jessica Schluter in thirteen hours and seventeen minutes. So she won by a couple of hours there. In the males event, we had Matt Dunn in third with 11 hours and 52 minutes. We had Peter Bubbis in second place with 11 hours and 37 minutes. And only six minutes ahead, Mike Carroll in first place, 11 hours and 31 for 110 kilometres. Um, elevation for that one, Kyle, do you know off the top of your head? Is it, are we talking 5,000? Uh, five, five, yep. Five, five, maybe wow. 5,000. It's a yeah. lot. So that's incredible times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. incredible. Um, and of course, last year that was the race, wasn't it, between Andy Day and Tom Brimelow? Um, it was. So no Andy this year. 
But uh, so Andy did. Andy did run. I don't know if he? you saw that. He, oh, he led for the first about fifty-five k's. So he was supposed to be doing the Gold Coast Marathon, um, and last minute jumped across into the hundred and ten. Oh, right. To have another go, but I think he was about fifty-five k's in. I think he just had a couple of niggles. He said and just wasn't quite feeling great. So pulled the pin, and you know he'll continue training onto something else now. But he did. He did line up and lead for the first probably six hours or so. Now I'm just trying to flick back through my notes here to late last year. Do you know what time Andy ran last year with Tom? Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Maybe 11, 11 something. Okay, I'm going to try and find uh, it. If you, if you want to go through the 60s and the 30s, yeah, I'm going to try and find so, that time. We'll go through the 60s. So I'll start with the, the ladies. Rebecca Idians ran third place, 7.36. Patricia McKibblin, oh, McKibben, sorry, she ran 6.37. And then, again, very common name that gets mentioned on pretty much every ultra race in Southeast Queensland. We had Risha Lewis, who I believe was third overall, fourth overall. She was, what was she? Third overall. Third. So she ran 6.07. So for 60Ks with a few thousand metres of climbing, 6.07. Absolutely incredible. So again, third place overall. Absolutely incredible run by Risha. I know we keep saying it every time she races, but it's she's just a phenomenal phenomenal runner and it seems like the steeper and tougher the terrain the, the better she goes um and then in the guys we had andrew hill third male he was 629 um we had yun fua from he's from brisbane we mentioned his name quite a bit as well he ran 604 and then matt gore ran 532 which is a again incredible time now i'm not sure i can't remember again off the top of my head how fast ben duffus ran last year i think he was low fives but again 5.32 on for a 60K course with that much climbing is incredible time. I don't think it was quite a course record. I don't know if you've got that there. If you do find those results, Tom, what, what Ben ran last year in the 60. I do remember it being very, very fast, and he won by quite a way. Well, and, um, of course, um, I think Reesh is lining up for the Guzzler this weekend as well. So she will have raced, yes. you know, two 50 and 60K races within a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, it'll be great to see how she backs up. I just, I'm trying to, because it was a different time of year last year, wasn't it? So I'm struggling to find exactly where it was. Um, That's right. I'll yeah. have a go. I'll have a look through on the actual results. Because you, you, the 30K was the one that I was probably following yeah. following the most on the day because we had some familiar names and it was probably the most competitive competitive race that they had. So. Absolutely. But, and to keep in mind with these, I think the, the, all the races at the BTU, they have a, almost a 10-kilometre road section at the end. So... Um, so for a 30-kilometre trail race, if you want to call it that, a third of it, it practically is a road, um, and you'll kind of see with the results here um, that it certainly favoured the road races. So in the females, Dominic Ferguson, 2 hours 46 in third place. In second, Monica Holman, 2 hours 45. Um, and one of our guests on the podcast, Cecilia Mathers, 2 hours and 39 minutes for the 30K was a course record for Cecilia there. So what a year she's having. In the men's, Tom Brimelow, two hours and 10 minutes in third place. And then the race of the day, Ben Duffus, two hours and one minute. And Aiden Hobbs, two hours flat. So for those of you who don't know Aiden, he's a, a roadrunner from Brisbane. Um, does a bit of steeplechase, runs for the in-training group. So by all accounts, and I don't know where I got this information from, but I, someone told me with about two or three K to go, they were together. And then he kind of moved away then. So Yeah, I think it was only because I was following the little live tracking dots and I mm. think they'd been together basically the whole day because the gap in the end was only, what are we, 17 seconds. Yeah. 16 seconds, I think it says on the results. So, like, it was, you know, less than 100 metres gap between the two. You could see the photo of Aiden finishing. You could see Ben running down the finish shoot. So they were yeah. literally together the whole day. But, again, 
we talk about this on the podcast all the time, and this was I was following this front battle, just fascinated going, we've got probably one of the best trail mountain runners in the country, if not the best, mm. up against one of the fastest road runners we've got in Queensland, who's going to win on a course that's got some t- steep technical stuff, but it's also got quite a lot of runnable stuff to finish. So yeah. this was the battle of the, the theory of flat road running versus the theory of trail running. So I was... But I'm watching. Well, yes, it is interesting that. But I'm also interested if you flip the race over and you said, okay, let's go 10k on the road, then 20k on the trails. I reckon you get a different result. And yep. I, I reckon Aiden's job would have literally just been, I'll sit on Ben, I'll sit on Ben, and I know I'm going to be able to outrun him because I'm a road runner. So I think with 10k off road to finish, fancies the road runner. But I don't know. You you flip that over and you put a 20k section at the end and you finish on trails. I reckon there's no way Aiden would beat. Ben, I don't think. I think that's no. when, and that, but that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That's the, that's that's the great thing about this sport. And um, I think when I said um, when Killian didn't break his twenty four hour record a little while back, I said that's the great thing about the sport is that it's not the one size fits all. You know, there are different different types of people around and different runners. Um, so yeah, so Kyle, you've now so now we've gone through the results there. Um, You've got some results from last year. We said we were trying to find them. So, yeah, yeah so the 60K, you were talking about Ben Duffus' time. So Ben Duffus last year ran 5.21. Mm-hmm. So not quite a course record this year, but awfully close. But, again, we've got to remember with these that last year this was done in pretty much summer conditions. It was quite hot. So that just kind of goes to show just how fast Ben ran that yep. 60K last year given given the conditions. In the 110 last year, Andy Day ran 12.02, again, in the hot conditions which again is an incredible run, and Tom Brimlow was 12.48. Um, and then in the 100 miler, last year, Nolas ran 20.36 in November. Wow. So that just goes to show how impressive that run was by Nolas last year to you know, run 20 and a half hours on that course in those conditions. Yep. Extremely impressive. Yeah. So that's um, a lot of course records and a lot of close racing there, which is great, isn't it? Which is mm-hmm. something which... Doesn't always happen in trail running, and certainly over those distances. And when it happens, it's it is something special to uh, to behold. So, um, apologies for everyone at home if you can hear a bit of drilling going on. I've just been telling Kyle that um, someone in our unit block is doing a bit of renovation. So um, we're going to try and keep the drilling away. We've been lucky; we've been going for nearly fifty minutes with not much drilling. But that's what that noise is in the background. Um, the beauties of live podcasting. This is what happens. So, Kyle, so that's BTU out the way. As as you said, though, yes. it was late in the year last year. Um, a lot cooler conditions. The same with the Guzzler coming up. That was late last year as well, um, which is coming up in a week's time. We'll talk a bit about that later. But, Kyle, while um, the drama of the Gold Coast Marathon was happening and Kokoda and all those things as well, the one thing that we can rely on normally is park run. And uh, it's happened. Right. Most Some park runs happened on that, on that um, Gold Coast Marathon weekend. But there's been some phenomenal times, absolutely incredible. And this week's episode is really highlighting the female runners at Parkrun. There's been some amazing times. But the thing is as well, there's a few there's a few interstaters here. So I don't know how this is going to go at the end of the year, whether when we do our top 10, whether it's just top 10 locals or the top 10 times. We need, a, we need to set some parameters and some clarification now for the top 10 because a few people obviously came up for the marathon. Marathon wasn't on, jumped in a Parkrun, ran really well. So... But there's been some female times over the last three weeks. At Paradise Point, Georgie Wright ran 19.37. At Cooma, Georgia Grimesy, who I think is one of the Cachola um, training group there, she ran 19.03 at Cooma. Regan Ellis, who popped up on the park run last year, she ran 17.43 at Varsity. That's quick. Very quick. Um, At Kira, 
Molly Sewell ran 17.55. And um, <clears throat> clear my throat here. Broad Beach, um, which we haven't still got down. I know we said we're going to do this. I'm back at work. I might be able to get a, a trundle wheel. I did. Someone, I screen, someone, there. someone screenshot me uh, the page and it actually says it's been measured multiple times with, you know, equipment and whatever. So um, they're sticking to it. But interestingly here at Broad Beach, Siobhan Sefton ran 17.25. When I look at her results elsewhere, Kyle, she runs up Sunshine Coast. She normally runs about 19, 19, 10, 20 minutes. Maybe it's just that magic course. Maybe it's just a super fast park run course. And if anyone wants a PB, head to Broadbeach. There it is. Official time, 17.25 down at Broadbeach. Um, so over to the men now. You know the Cacholas at Coomera, out of the last 11 park runs at Coomera, a Cachola has won it nine times. And I, th- mm. and I, th- it's, I mean, it's, it's Jacko and, um, and Michael, uh, yep. who are doing the two. And the other two, I think, have been Desi Cutter. So it's practically a Cachola as well. Um, so they have absolute domination over that place. One of the females who's won recently, Kyle, Ali Cook, which is yes. worrying for all female runners on the coast if Ali's coming back into a bit of form. Um, some male times. Now, these were the ones I said were interstaters. So a fella from, uh, from Adelaide and another guy from Orange. Posted some times at Kira. They ran 15.02. Connor Whiteley and Josh Linnott ran 15.29. But they're interstaters. So this is Josh. Is Josh is local, isn't he? Um, Doesn't Josh train with Ando? Is that him? I don't know. It said One of them said Orange um, Running Club. One of them said Adelaide. I'm getting the name wrong. I swear that was his name. Yeah, maybe. We'll have to have a look at that. But... Again, it puts brought it, an idea into my head. Maybe I need some clearer... Um, yeah, no, I'm sure that's Josh has been doing a lot of training with Ando. Okay, I'm sure well, he's. I'm sure he's local. He's local. This is what I mean. This is maybe we need some um, clarification of where. I don't know. Is it open or is it or is it just for people who live locally? We'll we'll come across that. Um, but here's one. Varsity, a course record at Varsity uh, on the week before the Gold Coast Marathon, the 26th of the sixth. Um, Kieran Tall from the Sydney Striders ran 14 minutes and 49 seconds um, at Varsity. So, Varsity. So we've got quite a few. Um, park runs now where the course record is under that 15-minute mark, which is impressive. How many How many have got under? I think Kira, Main Beach, Varsity. Are they the yep. three? Is there any others that are under? I think they're all under 15 now. Coomera, no. Paradise Point, no. Paradise Point, surely it's going to um, at some stage. Um, is there any over 16 still? Because I'm trying to think. Well, yeah. What like Gainsborough Greens? Yeah, Tambourine, Gainsborough Greens, Tambourine. places like that. Mudrabar, maybe Mudgy. Well, I don't know if someone's run faster than Mudra. I'll have to go work that out. I reckon they. There's not many sub over sixteen course records left. People need to go get them while they're still there. Yeah. So we've had some very quick running from the females um, at various places around the coast, which is great. We've had some interstaters coming in. We've got the Cacholas dominating, but I think yeah, my park run moment of this. Uh, well, it's not a fortnight. This three weeks definitely goes to Kieran Tall, fourteen forty nine course record. At, um, at Varsity, which anyone who's run Varsity knows it's not an easy course because you've got a couple of a couple of turns and it's it's quite tight through there. But, um, yeah, there's our park run, Kyle. There's park run done. So we – let's just let's jump overseas. Oh, sorry, just yep. a quick update. Mudraba park run, Jackson Elliott, 14.52. So that's another one we can tick off as a sub-15. Sub wow. That's brilliant. So that's four of them. Um, so, Kyle, just jump overseas a little bit for us because the, yeah. I know this is supposed to be a local podcast, but we do like to touch in overseas with what's going on, particularly for things like Western States and um, Hard Rock. 
Yeah, so these are two of my bucket list races. So it's always something that I follow intently and have followed since I got into the sport a while ago now. But it was really exciting. So Western States, Hoka were the um, presenting sponsors of Western States this year, and they put on a live coverage, a live stream with commentators for the whole day, for all 30 hours of the race. So they had two commentators. They had cameras on the course the whole way, running with the runners in all the checkpoints the whole way. So it was like having trail running on TV for the whole day. It was brilliant. So we could all sit there and just listen to commentating and watch watch Western States unfold. So I loved it. I think that's the way the sport's going. We've spoken about it before with a lot of the, the European races, UTMB and the Golden Trail Series. It's kind of becoming, you know, just commonplace now in these big trail ultras that, you know, races almost are expected to put on this type of production. So, which is exciting because it's brilliant to, to follow and makes it so accessible and, and good to watch. Um, but yeah, it was... It was exciting to watch. It seemed like on the male side, it was always going to be Jim Walmsley's race to lose. Um, And that's exactly how it turned out because there was a couple of people who went with him early, Hayden Hawks, especially for the first 50K. And then he just ran away with it. Everyone else behind him seemed to be kind of blowing up. It was a hot day. And he still ran 1446 to take the win. So he won by an hour and 24 minutes, which is just incredible. And, you know, the people behind him are professional athletes. Um, and he has absolutely smashed everyone in their most respectful way. He has done extremely well. So that's under the old course record too. I think it's the fourth or fifth fastest time ever. Um, two of the above ones are far, obviously his his record. So I think that was the fourth fastest season. I got three of the four fastest times at Western States. So that was incredible to watch. But I think the stat of the day, which was kind of the big talking point, was there was nine females in the top 20, mm. which just – is just incredible. And it was fascinating to watch throughout the day. That wasn't the case for quite a big part of the day. And then a lot of the top 10 to 20 males just started to drop back. A few dropped out. They kind of dropped off a little bit and all of the females looked like they were running really well. And that race was really exciting because they were all really close together through probably hundred, 120 Ks. You know, there were sections where, you know, second to third through till six to seventh was about 10 minutes apart. So that was, that was exciting to follow to see how close and competitive that female race was. But to have nearly half of the top 20 be females was incredible. So and in Ruth that Croft. race, and Ruth, Ruth Croft, and I was yeah. about to say, Beth Pascal, who's from Great Britain, took out the win in 17.10, which I believe is the second fastest time ever run. And then Ruth Croft, winner of the UTA 50, which doesn't seem like it was that long ago, headed yeah. over for her 100-mile debut and ran 17.33, wow. which is just an incredible time. Not only for you, you know, to pull that off in your first 100 milers, just just brilliant. Mm-hmm. So that was incredible. And Ragnar de Bats was third, 17.41. So only eight minutes behind Ruth was so eight minutes between second and third. So it was incredible racing. But again, nine females in the top 20 is unheard of. So incredible, yeah. incredible to follow. And Wormsley becomes the third uh, person, doesn't he, to win three and... Yes. As great as that achievement is, it then puts Scott Durack's seven consecutive wins into another stratosphere, doesn't it? Like Wormsley just seems almost unbeatable there. Um, and it certainly is, is amazing to watch. And then you think, wow, Scott Durack got seven. Yeah. And it's you – now I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. The oh, – I had a mind blank here. Um, the female who won – and I have a mind blank here. Yes, she won 14 of them. Yeah. I can't remember so her name either, Scott, yeah. Which was, I've had a complete mind blank here. I'll think of it in a second. Um, but, yeah, 14. Like, it just puts it in perspective as far as, you know, it's incredible what these guys are doing. But, you know, it's seven. Like, Scott Jack seven. And it was seven in a row as well, which is just 
unheard of. Um, Anne Trayson, that was her name. Sorry, I was having a mind blank there. She won, has won so many of these Western States, but Scott Drake on seven in a row. Anne Trayson, I'm sure she's won 14 Western States. So he's got a bit of bit of catching to do, Jim. But Absolutely. he's off to a good start. He's off and, to a good um, start, that's for sure. And the other big one, the other big one that's been on. Hard Rock. Hard Rock. Yes. So this is, again, like I just mentioned earlier, probably one of the toughest 100 milers in the world because it's 100 miles close to 10,000 metres of climbing and they hit up to, the, you know, they get up to close to 14,000 feet in elevation. So um, Francois Dane from France, Salomon runner, you know, he's won UTMB three times. He's yep. beaten pretty much everyone in 100-mile races. He's kind of considered by many as probably one of, if not the best 100-mile mountain runner ever. Um, so... The way hard rock, hard rock works is it's a looped course and each year they alternate directions. So previously, Killian had the record in both clockwise and counterclockwise direction. So on this course, the previous record for the Killian on this course, which is the counterclockwise, he'd run 23.28 and Francois ran 21.45. Oh, so absolutely annihilated that course record. But the incredible thing was the top three men all went under Killian's old counterclockwise record. So Dylan Bowman, who a lot of people will know, American runner, he ran 22.45. He was exactly one hour behind Francois to the second, exactly one <laughs> hour behind. Um, and then Ryan Smith, who represents La Sportiva, he was 23.24. So he was only three and a half minutes under Killian's old record, but he snuck under. So absolutely incredible running there to watch. And then... It was almost a little bit heartbreaking. So the female course record on this loop has gone, has stood for quite a while. And Sabrina Stanley ran 27.21 and she missed the course record by three and a half minutes. Oh, over over 27 and a half hours, missed it by three and a half minutes. So um, Courtney DeWalter DNF, did she? So Courtney DeWalter DNF'd um, with stomach issues, I read, in her first yep. hard rock. So she was leading when she when she had to pull out. Um, but, yeah, Darcy was second in 32.08. And then Megan Hicks, who normally works for Iron Far, who's doing this results article, she was third in 33.05. Yeah. So, yeah, a shame for Courtney in her first hard rock. It would have been good to see her, see what time she could have run, but wasn't to be. I'm sure she'll be back at some point. But, yeah, those two big American races, big 100-miler races, over yep. within a couple of weeks. And, again, exciting running. And iconic finish, isn't it, uh, hard rock? When you get to kiss that big, big stone at the end. That's um, right. It's brilliant. There's been some great videos and some great sort of amateur movies made about Hard Rock. Um, if you haven't watched them, type into YouTube. It's a, it's a great one to see. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been an action-packed um, sort of three weeks after the disappointment of Gold Coast Marathon. But we, we roll into what effectively is going to be August pretty soon, and there's some massive races like we mentioned, the Sunny Coast coming up, which now looks like it's going to be an absolute stormer. Um, every roadrunner who's got a bit of training behind him is going to be there and racing quite hard there, which would be great. But we've also got the, the Guzzler coming up this weekend, um, which I'm in for the 50K. Uh, there's the 100 there as well. And, and there's a, I think there's a shorter race on the Sunday as well. I think there's a 21 or 22. Yeah, I think they do. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, there's Flinders Tour, one of the AAA races is coming up as well uh, early next month. And I think as well we've got the Scenic Rim Ultra. On the yep, same day, same same day, I think as the as the Sunny Coast Marathon, um, and Clint Eastwood. Am I right in saying that? Yes, Clint Eastwood is on. Yeah, I think that's coming up soon as well. There's a fair bit coming up in the next month, so it's going to be exciting to try and keep track of everything and, and follow along. Yeah, there's one one question I wanted to have for you, Kyle, because I'm doing the Guzzler this weekend and I'm, I'm trained pretty well for it. Like I'm doing okay. I 
are you the sort of person who can get up mentally for multiple big races every single year? Because I'm just noticing in myself, the, the like I'm excited about the weekend. I'm looking forward to it. But it's nowhere near the adrenaline or the excitement that I had for the UTA 100, you know, six or seven weeks ago. And I'm wondering whether, you know, you see lots of people out there who, who race multiple times a year, 50s and 100s and things like this. And I'm starting to almost figure out for myself that I'm kind of a one race a year person in terms of the big races. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, is it different for different runners? You know, is it, is it like, what um, are you like as a runner? Are you able to lift yeah. equally? I generally, I generally, I don't race too often big races. Um, I race fairly frequently, but if I look at my year this year, I really did, I did up the buff at the start of the year, which I kind of jumped in last minute because we're all doing it. That wasn't a big target. Yeah. UTA 22, again, just kind of going down there to be part of it. Didn't really target it. Just was excited because it was UTA. And then really it was the build up to the marathon was going to be the big race for the year, Mm. which then turned into obviously, I was always doing Kokoda as well, but Kokoda yesterday kind of ended up being a big effort. And then for me, I'm generally motivated by times, generally. Um, So I've always got really specific goals. So if there's something that jumps out that I really want to do, that's what motivates me more than necessarily even the events, Um, especially now that I feel like I've done most of the events around the local area as well. That kind of excitement of like a new event, running in a new area that you've never run in before, those kind of things, they do wear off a little bit. That's You don't get that kind of excitement like you do when it's the first time you've traveled somewhere for an ultra or, or something different. But I'm generally fairly competitive, so I can generally get myself up for, for most <laughs> races because I want to try and beat as many people as I can, Yeah, which I know is not what it's all about, but it definitely motivates me quite a lot. So it'll be the same now for me looking forward to the road stuff. I'll get back on the road for Melbourne Marathon again. I I can't say I'm excited about the course. I can't say I'm excited about racing people. I'm just excited to run a marathon. So that's what motivates me. And I think sometimes what a lot of people do is they race almost too often and then the novelty of racing wears off because they're always racing, which sometimes works for a lot of people. But then other people, it just becomes like, oh, yeah, I'm just racing because this is on and then that's on. And there's so many races at the moment on the calendar, as you heard us talk about. It's so easy to just enter race after race after race and you never quite get a full recovery block after these big efforts and then a long enough training block to feel like you're ready to go again for another really hard effort. And I think that's the thing for me is I'll only generally race those really big hard efforts when I feel like I've had a really good training block, even if that thing has included a couple of little races in there, that I'm ready for another one of those big efforts. Because I know for me, after especially these big kind of you know 100k ones and things i'm generally not feeling back to completely normal for a good few weeks so really for me these next few weeks is just get back into some things i'll probably do a bit of workouts depending on how i'm feeling but i probably won't be in full training for another month you know leading into then melbourne so i generally have to space them out anyway so i think the big thing for me is i try not to over race i try to not let the excitement of all these races you know affect me because i remember when i first started running when i got into it you just enter everything, like everything that pops up. You're going, I don't want to miss out on that. I can't miss out on this race. Yeah. Everyone's going to be there. So you would just enter and race in as much as you could. And you know that's what most people do. Whereas I feel like I've kind of got past that now and I can pick and choose what races I want to do and I'm somewhat selective. Yeah. And the other thing for me is I'm motivated by training. I enjoy training. Mm-hmm. I could happily train most of the year and do my own little time trials and stuff and be fairly happy with that. Whereas then there's people who, if they don't have a race locked in in the next couple of months, generally the motivation for training isn't there because they need that carrot to be going towards, you know, something to aim at. So if you're someone who needs that extra motivation or that something to aim for and has that big goal to aim for, then racing more frequently I think is really good. Whereas if you're someone who 
you know, enjoys the training process, then, you know, you kind of just race when you feel like you're ready to race. And I probably fall more into that where I, you know, I don't even generally enter races that far in advance. Cause I'll just, if I'm feeling ready to go a month out, I'll enter a race and go, yep, I'm, I'm good to go. I feel yeah. fit. Cause I generally, there's people that, you know, race so they can train. And then there's people that train so they can race. Mm. And I generally fall into the category of I race. So it gives me something to train for because I enjoy the training yeah. um, versus just training because I want to do the race. I've, yeah, it's interesting. Like, because obviously everyone's very different, aren't they, in the amateur world? And mm. we've got so many things going on that can sort of impact and get in the way of things. But I've noticed as well for myself, I get, I seem to really enjoy the races where you have to travel. I think that's mm. what I love about Katoomba. And and before I started doing trail races, I was doing marathons, not particularly well, but my better marathons was when I went to Melbourne and when I went to Auckland. And you know, I never, I never raced a good marathon on the Gold Coast. I've had some shockers here. And I think it's literally because it's on my doorstep. I I think the idea, um, you know, of going somewhere special, whether that's getting on a plane and going for three or four days, and you feel even if it's a small race, you feel the event of of actually going somewhere. And and the build up and the training process is also the mateship and the camaraderie camaraderie that you get from all going to the event together and booking the hotel and getting the rental car and you know and where we're we going to stay and all oh, was breakfast afterward that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It's just different. I've you know. UTA hasn't been that far away. It's you know, only six or seven weeks ago, um, and I'm just yeah. You kind of you kind of uh, analysing yourself going into a race. And as I said, I'm looking mm. forward to the Guzzler, but it's no, it's got nowhere near the the mm. zip. It doesn't pep me up as much a week out. Yeah. I'm excited. It might be different when I jump on the start line on Saturday morning, but you know, I'm even thinking, do I go up Friday night and stay up there Friday night? And I was like, no, nah, I'll just get up in the morning and drive up. So even that's a different approach. So um, yeah, yeah. I was just interested. But it's funny, that's time someone that's sometimes when you have your best runs. Yeah. When you're not really focusing on you're not nervous about things, you kind of just ease into it. You can generally have really good runs. I always think back to the, probably one of the best I've ever felt in a race was when I did the Flinders tour or when I Cooks tour, fifty K in the Glasshouse Mountains. Yeah. And it was my first race back after having a really long time off with injury back in twenty seventeen. This was twenty eighteen, I think. Um, and it was my first race back, drove up the morning of, got up early, same thing in my head was just going to be treating it like a big long run just to get back into things. There was no nerves. It's a very low key event. You run off the start and I had one of the best runs I've ever had. Like I felt amazing the whole day and just had one of those perfect runs. Cause there was no pressure, no fanfare. Mm. Yeah. It was just like a normal training run. So you, that can kind of work for you if you're looking for to have a good run. Cause you don't put the pressure on yourself to perform at the yeah. same time. And quite often that's, you have amazing days with that. And I think that could be something that works for you this weekend because the excitement's going to build. I know, even for me, everything was focused on the marathon and then hadn't even really thought about Kokoda. And mm. then once the marathon passed in the last week, I've been really excited for Kokoda because everything was focused on that. And I think as these days tick by, as you get closer, yeah. you'll find that excitement starts to build because everyone starts talking about it and asking you how your prep's gone and how you're <laughs> feeling. And it, get, yeah. it definitely gets exciting those last couple of days. Yeah. New course, the Guzzler, for, for me. I haven't done it before. I've heard all about this hill at the end. Kokoda Hill, they call it at the end. I think it's part of the Brisbane Kokoda in the last couple of kilometres you come up the big hill. So, um, yeah. All right, Kyle, before we go, that's um, episode 43 done. What have you got coming up then? Bit of recovery. Uh, I'll just be eating lots of food and maybe go for a couple of jogs if I feel like it. I'll be doing not a whole lot this week. I've been – I actually paced the guys – and girl or Rinnie and Luke and Marty um, for their sessions last Friday. So it was great. 
put my coach hat on, should have got a whistle and everything, following him around on the bike with the drinks. It was great. I quite enjoyed it. But I, I forgot what it's like trying to – in my head, I thought it was going to be such an easy ride because I'm on a bike and they're running. And I was struggling to keep up with them at times on the bike. I wasn't – I'm not used to riding a bike trying to chase runners. So that was exciting. But no, yeah. I'll probably do a bit more of that over the next week than, than running. Yep. Other than that, not much. And you've obviously got Guzzler and then you'll be doing the same recovery – week after that pretty much counting off the goat loops then for the rest of the year all righty thanks everyone again for uh for listening um we said before we came on air that we're approaching ten thousand downloads um since we started listening or started doing this you know a year and a half to two years ago so um we do appreciate every single person that listens to this we we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking about it it's the aim was to talk about local runners and local races and to say that we've had you know ten thousand listens um already in the, the year and a half to two years is is quite mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, from Kyle and I, thank you very much for all your support. Thanks for the messages that we get or when people mention about certain things. I know a few people have said to me, Kyle, that it's normally when I upload these on a Sunday or a Monday, it's when it pops up on their podcast you know, screen on the in the morning, It's they put it on in the, on their way to work. So, um, And you occasionally see Strava, Strava comments, don't you? Like I did this particular loop while listening to Racing News. So, yeah, here's... Um, Here's hoping it gets better and better in the in the, the months, months and years to come. Here's to the next 10,000 listens. Yeah, Hopefully absolutely. Hopefully it'll be a bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good week, mate. And uh, we'll you too, mate. see good you luck next weekend. Thanks, buddy. We'll hear all about it. Full review. Full review. Full review. See you, buddy. See ya. 